Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigalov, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigalov was either off-duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigalov was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigalov. Thanks for joining us again. Um, we have a special guest. You may have seen his video on YouTube. That's how I stumbled across him. And he has this great stance that he is standing against the mandate. But before we, before I introduce him, I want to uh, introduce my Patreon, or um, thank my Patreon subscribers. We have Shell Pace, we have Sam and Angela Shelke, we have Perry, Kevin, Katie, Joe, PJ, Ty, and Amanda. I want to thank you all for supporting. Um, you're getting a lot of this content early. If you're interested, please look into Patreon. There's a link down below. Um, it's a great way for y'all to help support me through donations. And sometimes you get the content a little bit early. And there's now some exclusive uh, Patreon-only uh, content that you can see there. So I have uh, Lieutenant Colonel Air Force Alan Cohen. Now, he did a, about an 18-minute video the other day where, he, and this is where I first learned about him, where he was doing a, um, a, a talk about how the military is, is seeming, this is my interpretation of his talk, that he was, the military is fighting a war against the, those who have religious beliefs. And he talks about how this is a spiritual warfare. And I think that's that's a really important goal or important topic because that's what I've been talking about almost this entire time. How this is not a fight against flesh and blood. This is a fight in the unseen realm that Paul talks about. So thank you for joining us today. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the invite. And as you mentioned before, um, <clears throat> I did give a, a speech a speech recently at the Mid Atlantic Reformation Society conference. It was a Christian conference, and and actually just for a little context there. The, the topics for multiple speakers was actually quite broad. There was everything from agriculture to politics to education to uh, my, my portion was the military. And so it was various topics, but the, the purpose was to take a biblical view of some of the hot topics around our society and what is an appropriate Christian response, if you will. Uh, how should a Christian approach these, uh, especially as... Uh, the subjects get more uncomfortable, more sensitive. Uh, what is the appropriate response to still honor your obligation to God, still honor our, our law abiding, you know, the, the laws of our country uh, and, and press forward to continue to develop as individuals and as a society? We get into a little bit of the details of, of what you spoke about then and some of your background and, and where you've been and how that's relevant to the series, but also just so that everyone understands that, hey, we're not alone here. There are some people that have come from pretty high positions um, like yourself, and and you're not immune to this spiritual warfare that's going on. Right. Absolutely not. And as I mentioned in the speech I'm, uh, I'm about 18 and a half years active duty service right now. I'm a lieutenant colonel, as you mentioned. And this whole saga, really from 2020 going till now, has been quite a, a eye-opening for me personally. Um, just a little context, my, my job in the Air Force, I'm an operations research analyst. On the Navy, I believe they call them uh, operation research and systems analysts, as well as the Army. It's a relatively small career field for all the services. I think within the Air Force, we have 
maybe 400 members out of 300,000. There are no enlisted equivalents in our career field uh, for the Air Force. And uh, it, so it's very specialized. Growing up, my, my role as an operation research and, uh, analyst is simply to take information, take data, and use that to support decision makers. Um, it's, it's, I find it very, very exciting because it allows us the flexibility to participate in multiple different mission areas. I may employ my skills as part of a counter IED unit or a nuclear mission or an infantry mission or flight operations or anything. We, they simply just move us around, plug us in the unit, and we apply our techniques to that, um, that mission area. Uh, just a little background, uh, the, the actual skills uh, the job itself requires some mathematics some computer science some data science, uh, critical thinking, problem solving. So it's somewhat of a multidisciplinary field. And I was doing fairly well over these past near two decades, uh, always ranked very highly up, top 10% uh, for my career, went to command and staff college in residence, got selected for a number of uh, high-level positions, executive officer to generals and, and things of that nature. Um, on my, my vector, my development team vector, I was positioned to towards command and then the higher levels after that. So in 2021, just a few weeks after the mandate came out, I, I came out on the squadron command board. And for our career field, this is extremely rare. We, we were once part of the acquisition field, we're, or sorry, the scientific field, along with physicists, chemists. So we don't have squadrons in the Air Force. We, we have one, actually one in the entire Air Force. So to get picked up for that one squadron in our career field, it's, it's quite, a, quite a, an honor. Um, and so that was going on. And again, throughout my career, got lots of accolades, recognition, uh, acceptance into to multiple things. And then shortly after the man, um, at, during the course of the mandate, the uh, Air Force A-1, they run the personnel side of the house. They put out a policy in November saying that unvaccinated people cannot PCS. And because of that, I can't PCS, so I can't go to my next assignment, which would be in Texas in the summer of 2020. And the hiring authorities made a decision then, said, well, you can't, you can't PCS, so you can't take over command. And it was really nothing in terms of my character or my record or any of that nature. It was simply this one policy, which I would argue is not grounded in, in rational basis of saying unvaccinated people can't travel despite the fact that COVID is ubiquitous across the entire world. And so going forward, they removed me from my command. And since then I've been stationary at my current assignment, uh, simply as a generic staff officer at this point. Uh, and we can go into more details in terms of some of the disciplinary action, things like that, if you want. But that's the general summary as it pertains to my specific command opportunity or lack thereof at this point. So just kind of a summary of all that. You you were a high producer. You were uh, you were a, a, an airman um, officer that, that did great. All of your, your evaluations were great. Things were going perfect. And then for some reason this wrench got thrown in there where you weren't vaccinated, everything comes crashing down. Is that a good as assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Even if you look back at performance reports or any uh, documentation on me in my career, you you see there's as much where I, I was always viewed as, you know, like you said, a high performer, someone with great potential. And even last year, I was 
one of the lead data analysts on the White House's COVID response task force. So what that entailed was working with, if you're, not, if you're familiar with Operation Warp Speed, and I know you did a talk in your previous podcast, it was a joint endeavor by the Department of Defense, Department of Home, uh, Health and Human Services. And the goal strictly was manufacturing, production, and distribution of COVID countermeasures. This is not just vaccines. It actually included therapeutics, which a lot of people don't know. But under Operation Warp Speed, the idea was to produce these products to a sufficient quantity to distribute it to the American people. Uh, we're talking hundreds of millions of doses uh, by, by, uh, by the end of it. And my specific role there was a lot of the software development on the information infrastructure in which the White House and other top-level government officials could actually see this data. Uh, we, we did work with some very, very sharp software engineers, some operators across all the services, and Again, in, in the course of my, my job as an operation research analyst, I simply made recommendations to decision makers. I did that job for about eight and a half months, uh, and there was relatively no issue with my vaccination status, with, with the exception of one uh, brigadier general, but that's a different story. Uh, the rest of the leadership was totally fine with me. Uh, they understand uh, my stance with regards to the mandate. I worked the, pro the religious accommodation process through the Air Force. And through December, through the end of December, this cal past calendar year, they were fine. They said, Alan, this, this stuff is great. Thanks for your help, all this. It was only after I left that deployment, again, which came after the, the PCS freeze, that this started to boil over, where now I was taken from this guy who is qualified to produce recommendations directly to White House staff to now having my judgment, integrity, and trustworthiness questioned uh, on the Air Force side. So again, very sharp contrast in, in a relatively short amount of time. And I would imagine they use the same pattern for you as almost everyone I've talked to, where they isolate, segregate, they, they make you feel alone, they, they belittle, they, they go, well, why don't you just give it? Come on, just, just get the shot. The whole thing will be over. Because I've heard that myself. I've heard that from lots of people that I've talked to. Was that similar tactic used with you? Yeah, absolutely. And I echo your point. There, there are thousands of service members in our situation. And the tactics that uh, some of these senior officials will use, I, I would categorize them between seduction, uh, coercion, intimidation, isolation, ostracization. Uh, as you mentioned, there's we were offered the same thing. Alan, you've got two more years. Just suck it up. You can do your Christian thing afterwards. Just get that you know, get that retirement, make sure you don't lose your medical, uh, some of the isolation. Uh, and just one specific case, I talked about it during the conference was, uh, I was working at the front office of uh, this, this Operation Warp Speed uh, Part 2. So a lot of SCSs, a lot of general officers. And when our chief of staff find, found out, he was a one-star, he said, uh, Alan, you know what this means, right? And I said, no, I don't know what this means. Like, so he said, well, you, got, you have to get out of here. Like, well, I'm, I'm been doing well for the past four months. It doesn't seem to be an issue. No one else seems to mind. He said, no, 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 you're a health risk to all of the other folks here. And I asked him, you, you mean all the fully vaccinated people in the office? He's like, yeah, exactly right. I, I'm a threat to them. So anyways, he's, he's a one star. I'm a 05. So I salute smartly. And he, he basically made me move to a private office down the hall. And the, the funny thing is, though, he didn't really make that 
publicly well-known. And so whenever all the, sen- the other senior leaders wanted some analysis done, a report or some kind of statistics or graphs, they would have to walk down to my new office instead of just yelling down the office farm and you know, a couple cubes over. So it's just kind of interesting, not my call, but it, it was sort of these different tactics that you see employed. Some of them lighter. I, I know there's a lot of, a lot more uh, tougher stories from a lot of the service members out there where there's physical isolation, where you, you actually work by yourself, uh, removed from your previous job responsibilities. Um, the paperwork that follows, uh, letters of counseling, letters of reprimand, Article 15s, court martials, I think, in, in few exceptions. And, and all the, you see all these tactics being employed because they cannot make an argument for their position. And so rather than address the issue head on, be it religious or medical, they simply want to get you to change your mind, right? And so, so they can't, they don't have really a good foundation in which they can make their case. So the next best approach is simply for you to make that decision. And that way it, it alleviates them from any real responsibility or, or so they think. Well, that's one thing that, that's interesting is <clears throat> these people, I don't know if any, I think some of them are not acting maliciously. I think some of them are actually terrified that, that you could kill grandma. I mean, because that's, that's the story we've been hearing from the start. Like, you know, we can't get out of our house because, you know, some little kid's going to kill grandma. Okay, well, what about that little kid when they grow up and grandma happened to die during this time frame? What will happen to that child and how destructive will that be? Well, then we, ex- we, we expand that a little bit. And now it's like, okay, well, you know, we can't go to work because we can kill grandma. Well, that, that's not how we've ever lived. We don't sacrifice all of society, every person who produces anything to make money to keep society going so that we can eat and, and protect our country. We don't sacrifice everything so that one person may may not get sick. It's just not yeah, how, I, how life works. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think during this pandemic, there was a lot of fear generated in, in the country and around the world. And many folks have forgotten their core principles of, of what we ought to do, how we ought to live as a society. Uh, as you mentioned, there was churches that shut down, a lot of ministries, a lot of n- healthy community things, schools, sports, um, recreational activities just went by the wayside for the stated goal of if it saves one life, then it's worth it. And I, I disagree with that notion because the point of living is not simply to extend your days on earth, right? God gave us a purpose here. We we ought to love God and love our neighbor. And if you're not don't neglect the fellowship. If you're not actually interacting as a society, there are so many other detrimental aspects to it uh, besides being disobedient to our God. And within the Air Force, that that pertains as well. A lot of folks said, you know, hey, whether they they thought it was, you know, there was a, a big health concern and this is what they could do. But after some time, you know, even just a casual observer could see that you would go from two weeks to slow the spread to a couple months to now a couple years, you should reflect on what really the objective is and what are you sacrificing? What are you not doing in pursuit of this goal of trying to squeeze out a couple more uh, days on this earth? Because even as the case, as you mentioned, I, I think it's heartbreaking that so many people abandoned, especially the elderly, uh, in, in different facilities and things of that nature. Um, if you don't visit them and they spend a couple days, a couple more days in isolation, is it worth it in the long run? Did you sacrifice your time as a loving family member or to do right or do some other ministries to society because you were afraid of this virus? And 
everybody dies. I, I know that's a, it's a tough reality for some people to swallow, but we all have a limited time on this earth. And how are you spending that time? Are you actually maximizing the time that God has given you here? And just to echo that even more, there's children that have been born through this who don't know what normal was. They don't know it's a new normal. They've never walked around and seen people without masks on. And that's destructive to the psyche. That's destructive to language that decreases IQ points. I mean, it's just, it's destructive to humanity. And we know that, you know, Satan can't strike at God because he's not strong enough, but he can destroy humans or have humans destroy humans. And that gets at God. Right. No, I, I think there's this for the spiritual aspect of it. Uh, I think it's, it's unfortunate. I, I thought that more, uh, people, followers of Christ would stand up or at least acknowledge some of the spiritual realities here. Uh, early on, when the government says, shut down your churches, they know that that's wrong. Okay. I, I know some, some churches made accommodations. Well, we'll do it via, um, you know, an online platform like this, or we, you can just hang out in your cars in the parking lot and listen to the sermon on the radio. And there's, it's not the same. You're still missing out on that human connectivity, which God in, entails for us. And uh, just echoing, I think one of your conversations with Dr. Chambers, I think episode 32, you guys talked about this in Romans 13. A lot of Christians even would argue the point, well, the government said so. And Romans 13 says we ought to obey the government. But if you read the entire chapter, not just the first verse, read the entire chapter of Romans 13, it talks about God being a minister for good and a tyranny to evil. So my question to the Christians would be, what is evil about seeing your family members or about doing a Christian ministry or about worshiping as a group, as the Bible commands us? What is evil about that? So when the government starts to make actions like that, then we ought to say something, regardless of the pressure, as, I'm, as we talked about, the coercion, the intimidation. It's going to be tough. I understand that. But this is still our obligation to stand up for truth, to stand up for righteousness, despite the uh, whatever blowback we may receive. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point because so, so often many Christians get this wrong. Because if you read what Paul says, and it's, it's that, it's that living in the middle, right? You, yeah, you have to listen to the government, but, but God comes first. You know, if the government disagrees with God, then you follow God and, and you're charged to follow God and to bring that government back to God. It's, you know, you're, you're supposed to, to not have your, your brother, you know, stumble, but it's not having your brother stumble if you're bringing him closer to God, if you're standing up for what God instructs us to do. To, to be the best creation that we, we can be, because I feel that's why we're on this earth. It's almost like going to the gym. I don't understand. I don't get to see what my full potential is if I don't go lift weights. But if I, just like on earth, that's why we go through these hard times. And that's some of the great things that have come out of COVID. Not that COVID has been a great thing. It hasn't. It's been the crucible for most people. But as you burn and get hot, as you get thrown into that fiery pit like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the bad burns away. And only the purest, best part are left behind in that crucible. And and as we emerge out of this this furnace, and we discovered we weren't alone the entire time, God was standing there with us, the angel of the Lord was there with us, um, singing with us, and we emerge not burned, not singed, not even the smell of smoke upon our bodies or our clothes, well then we've become so much better because now we know that we can do so much more. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. There's, I think this this was a time where God is truly shaking the foundations of our society, and the things that are not standing on that firm foundation have fallen away. Things that have been built on shifting sands, as Jesus said, uh, they have fallen away, and or at least shown themselves to be but not reliable. And, and I'm looking at across all the institutions, churches, governments, uh, individuals, uh, even within the military ourselves, we were often seen as a, a beacon or a kind of a stalwart against tough times like this. And how quickly did, did many of our own communities um, kind of just go with the political narrative rather than really think critically, really look at the data and information that we had, really weigh the costs and benefits in their totality. But uh, when I look at, you know, the the legal community, the medical community, the operations communities, uh, even inspector generals, um, equal opportunity office, all of these checks and balances from really wild swings in, in how we do business and sticking to our core principles found in the constitution, that that is what we should subscribe to. But the, the, the fast nature that all of this transpired makes me believe that it is truly spiritual. Even now you look, we're nearly three years into this thing. And yet there are still people holding fast to that initial idea. When we first started hearing of the, the term COVID, you know, as a, as a general society, and yet there's still people holding on as though nothing has changed in the last three years, as though they haven't gotten any new information, yet they refuse to adjust their position or at least accommodate a different narrative. Um, I, I don't know if that's, they have conditioned themselves to think a certain way that it's hard to kind of wean yourself off of that, or if it's simply they know that they're doing wrong in some cases, but the consequences of admitting that wrongness or turning back, they feel is too great. And so they have to just double down on their position. Again, that we're talking military specifically, but I've seen that in other aspects of, of our society uh, in many other institutions. And I know I've said this before, but it's, it's so profound that it bears repeating. It's easier to, to trick people to to fool people it's easier to fool people than it is to convince them that they already have been fooled and if you think about it from an objective standpoint like who wants to be fooled right like i i don't want to be a fool like and that that's kind of the pleasure of watching let's say a magician because it's the expectation that you go there and that you're going to be fooled and everyone's going to be fooled and so it's okay but it, let's say the magician is your company commander, your battalion commander, your, you know, whatever commander, and you've been fooled by that magician who's using pharmacia to trick you. Well, okay. It's, it's hard to justify that. And, and it's easier just to be spiritually blind and to, to trust that, oh, well, yeah, they, they knew what's best. They, you know, they were, they were following the science, you know, cause they were moving at the speed of science, right? Whatever that means. And, <laughs> And sure, they checked it to make sure it prevented infection. Oh, wait, no, they didn't. Oh, it's safe and fine in pregnancy. No, they, they actually specifically excluded pregnant women from the studies, from the trials. They even told the men, don't try to get your wife or partner pregnant until 60 days after your last dose. Because they didn't want to hurt a pregnant woman or a child. But now, I, I've put this up recently, some pictures up. Um, they're over a year old now, of OBGYN doctors saying, I can't believe any army doctor would ever sign a waiver to allow 
um, a pregnant woman to not get the vaccine. And this was an army OBGYN in a Facebook closed group talking to other army doctors. It's sickening and disgusting. No, absolutely. That, that is, that's what's troubling to me um, that there are, again, I, I'll give grace to folks who thought they were doing right. Maybe folks who aren't as steeped on the medical side, the legal side, as, as some folks are just not as interested and simply just follow along, whatever the government says, I'll, I'll do it. You know, there's, that's one, that's one case, but there are individuals who, who knows to be wrong, who are steeped in these experimental medical, uh, experimental medical treatments and this virus and who intentionally push out this narrative where you deny what's obvious to your face, the, the people who were, who were removed from trial, those who died during the trial and were si- simply written off and say, oh, they weren't part of the, this, this cohort anyway. Uh, and you intentionally manipulate the information to some other ends. And obviously I can't speak to specifically what those ends are, if they be financial, if they be you know control motivated or whatever, but whatever those other motivations are, that you have people deliberately causing harm to their fellow citizens for whatever their own reasons are. Um, I think that's very unfortunate. And, and seeing that within the medical community, within the scientific community like mine, uh, it's it's really disheartening because there were folks who even even for me they said well uh, this is what the data says I'm like okay well let's actually look into that let's look at the assumptions look at the the factors that went into this what are the multiple interactions you know wh- when it came to people who died with COVID versus those who died from COVID or the comorbidities or any of the data. Uh, that that's shown in these government databases. You brought this up before within VAERS or DMED. It's all publicly available if someone would just have the curiosity to look instead of holding fast to that initial narrative and saying, well, the data must be wrong or, well, this thing, you're just making up some sort of kind of uh, throwaway argument without actually looking into it. And, and early in the pandemic, again, I, when we were in February, March of 2020, I could understand that, but we're now three years in and there are still folks who think that who won't even look, who won't even accept that these alternative views or these, uh, that, that another position is available. They won't even entertain it. They'll say, well, no, you're a crazy conspiracy guy or, well, you want grandma to die. That's why you're, you're pushing all this anti-vaccine stuff. And that's absolutely not the case. It's simply a tactic for them to say, I don't, have anything to stand on. So I'm going to discredit you as an individual and, and try to continue to push this narrative. Well, and like one, one thing that you're saying, this is a little um, behind the scenes story of one of the DMED whistleblowers. I know this story very well because it happened to me and I hadn't talked to this um, doctor. I hadn't, we hadn't communicated in over 10 years. I think the last time we talked was before we were both um, finished med school. We were in Bolick together and I get this text out of the clear blue and he says, let me see your data. I don't, I don't believe you. I say, well, go look it up. And it was already after the glitch. And, uh, my lawyer advised that I not share the information yet until we get it, you know, locked in a certain way and he was going to publish it. Um, and then the final text I get from this guy, you know, about three texts into it. And also the final one, he says, this doesn't work out well for you. I'm basically being threatened by one of my physician, you know, co-physicians who's a major in the U.S. Army, who I haven't spoken to in 10 years. Last time we spoke, we weren't doctors yet because we were still in med school. 
and he contacts me out of the clear blue and basically threatens me. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. That's, that's tough. And that, the, the quick response to, I, I think that that's another aspect where I think during this trial of America and the world, I, I think also points to spiritual nature where you see how fast it's revealed the true character of an individual. Um, prior to the pandemic, I think it was a lot, it was very easy for folks to just skate by, hang out in the gray zone, you know, say I'm, I'm neutral on this position or that. I don't have an opinion either way. I'm just going to keep low, not say anything controversial and continue to live my life in peace. And I think during this, uh, this and other social aspects, you had the, the riots of 2020, a lot of the political stuff going on. You really saw this idea where there is no neutrality. Like you, at the end of the day, you will take a position on everything, whether you want to or not. And for whatever reason, now going through this pandemic, you see folks that you haven't talked, like you said, you haven't talked to this guy in 10 years, then all of a sudden he's threatening you. Not not like a, hey, how you doing? How's the wife and kids? How's your job? This and that. It, it sort of cuts right to the main issue. And I think that's been the case for a lot of people where, you know, folks that pretended to be your friend, pretended to, to think this or that about you. Now the veil has been lifted and you can see folks as true colors. And in, in my case, in the, in the military, that was also something that I mentally wrestled with was the fact that did they always think a certain way about me or was that just kind of the guys? And now going through this where I am a very outspoken Christian that they're like, okay, now I, I really know how you feel about people of my religious convictions in the service. And then that's, you know, there's, there's no question about that at this point. Um, whereas before it was like, Oh, maybe they like me. Maybe they just like my, uh, analysis work and, and things of that nature, but they don't actually think highly of me as an individual, despite all the narratives, you know, we, we care about our, uh, you know, care about our troops and, and family first and all this other stuff. Now the real, the real view is, is laid out bare uh, for all of us. I think, you know, uh, at a person to person level or even on the larger scale, as far as the institution itself, who they want in their ranks, at least uh, the, the current, current senior leaders at this point. Maybe that wasn't always the case, but now it's become uh, very clear, at least during this time that we're in. Well, yeah, yeah, like it's been said before, but I think it's important to say again is, um, and I never came up with this and I never lived through the hardest times that made this statement, but to not speak is to speak, not to stand is to stand. Like you're making a choice. And, you know, I first saw this, this whole spiritual warfare, it was before COVID, it was probably in 2018, 2019, when there was all the civil unrest in the country. And it's like, it doesn't make sense. This, this doesn't make sense. And I, I was, my mom told me about this book, um, The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. I encourage everyone to read it. He's a biblical scholar, a PhD. And what he does is he goes through the entire Bible and he he knows all the original text languages, so he can give you the connotation, the understanding, what it meant there. And when Paul says that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities of darkness in the unseen realm, that wasn't a new idea. That was woven through the entire Old Testament. But if you don't understand the original language and context and how it was used and the way they speak, then you would never understand that. And so that wasn't a new idea. But once you start looking at that and understanding, okay, so there's an unseen realm. There are these things called Elohim, which is not the name of God. That is a, a, 
I guess, like spirit almost. There are these creatures. God is an Elohim, but he is higher than Elohim, really, because he's, he's a spiritual being, but he, he created all of them. He's different than all of them. Whereas like Gabriel and, and Satan and all these things, um, they're all Elohim. They're all these spiritual beings different than us. And how there's, there's this war going on and how that is in the entire Old Testament. Even little things like when Jesus says to Peter, you know, who do you, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you know, you're the Christ. And, and then Jesus says, this is the rock in which I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't withstand. Well, he explains that they were standing at Capernaum, which is a giant rock right near Mount Horem, which is where the Jews believe that the angels fell and came to earth. So they were standing at a rock at the gates of hell. But unless you know the original context and language and all that, you don't understand that. And so it just, it changes everything about the Bible, but it also changes nothing. And it, it just gives you a deeper understanding of the world that you're walking around in now. And so you can, it opens your eyes, it pins them right open, takes those scales right off. So you can see the unseen realm battle that's going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think within within historical context, just to broaden out the conversation a little bit, like you said, this is this is not new. Uh, this idea of right and wrong, true and false, this has been going on since the beginning of time. And now, perhaps it's, it's more apparent to, to the average person, but I think just to, to emphasize what you, what you said, throughout history, there have been some who fought for righteousness and some who fought you know, against it. And then a lot of people kind of in that middle area just influ- pulled one way or the other society. And... When those who know to do right don't do it, to him it is sin, right? That's James chapter 4, uh, that you know what the right answer is, but for some reason you hold yourself back, whether it's fear of you know, losing your social status, maybe perhaps your job or things like that. You're, you, you feel some kind of consequences, and so you don't, don't uphold your obligation to stand up for that righteousness. As, as it pertains to an entire society, we've seen this again throughout history, uh, slavery didn't just happen in a day in, in within America, right? It was around the world. I understand that, but within America specifically, we didn't get to the point. It was always just a little bit of leaven more and more. They they brought people over as indentured servants, and they said, "Well, now this group of people, if they have kids, the kids belong to the masters." Well, now instead of seven years, you'll say you work fifteen years or thirty years or life, and it was over the course of several years that slavery in America came to the point where most Americans understand it, where you have folks in the field getting beaten, getting tortured, getting raped uh, with no recourse at all. But all that time, how much of America called themselves Christians? Most people didn't actually own slaves. Actually, the number of slave owners, I I think, was probably less than 10% if you look across entire uh, American society. But yet, all the other people who didn't own slaves didn't bother to actually speak up and end it, which is why it persisted for time and time again. And you hear the stories of of Germany in the 1920s and 30s leading up to the Holocaust that a lot of Germany was Lutheran, right? A lot of major Christian churches. And so how did we get to the point where we're trucking people over to the, the gas chambers and killing them on the streets? It didn't happen overnight. It was a slow progression where you recognize something is wrong. Hey, you know, the Jews can't use this public bench because they're dirty. Okay, that's not a big deal. They just kind of move on to the next thing. And then they slowly layer on more and more. And the bulk of society, rather than recognizing that tyranny or that wickedness and saying, no, this isn't right because, you know, our standard is God. This is wrong because of this. I don't care how small it's wrong and you need to say something. 
rather than letting it continue to fester and we you fast forward a couple of years and we look back at society and say how could america how could america get to this day how could the western world allow this to happen and I, I hear a lot of even Christians saying, well, if I was around back then, I would have stood up. I would have said something. And I question them, like, would you really have when the government, the Supreme Court, the medical industry, entertainment, all of your friends and neighbors, even your pastors perhaps, are saying that this particular institution is okay, would you really have stood against that at that time? Uh, and I think the answer is, is, is unfortunately very little in reality. And you, you see that how many people are standing up to what they know to be obviously wrong today. You compare it to some of these historical atrocities. And again, I just use a couple examples, but you can extend that back through Old Testament times and, and see kind of the same pattern of folks who, who proclaim to follow God, but are not actually standing on his word, are not other actually challenging or contending with those principalities that you mentioned because uh, one reason or another. One thing about the slavery is, and this this information I got from Tim Ballard watching him talk, and he's uh, Operation Underground Railroad with Tim Ballard. And one thing he said is, for all of the slaves, for all of the time that all of America owned slaves and then ended slavery for all of those 300 years, um, maybe less, there are more slaves today, right now, in the world than all of those years combined. This very moment, there's more slaves today. So anybody who says that, unless they're actually doing something to stop slavery today, i.e. giving to Operation Underground Railroad, helping the Nazarene Fund, helping with different um, uh, um, places like that, that, that actually go in and rescue children from sex slavery or move Christians and Yazidis and Jews who are who are marked to be killed in parts of the world where and Muslims where they're marked to be killed because they're not Muslim enough, then you really don't care. And that's a disingenuous statement. And so people need to understand that that and, and this is another analogy that, that Tim Ballard gave and I just I love it so much. Imagine you're outside and your hand is out there and the sun is shining through your hand and there's a dark spot. There's a shadow. It looks really dark. As the that shadow gets darker. Just if you move over just a little, unless you're standing in that shadow, it's going to look like you're in the darkest part of the world. But if you move over just a little bit on that, right where that line is, the brightest part is right there. That's like God shining through. And that's, he wants us to be his hands and feet to make that difference, to be that bright light shining. And he says, you know, he sees terrible things, but he says that he gets to see the brightest parts of God shine through humans because of he, because he goes into those dark places and brings the light with him. Right. Absolutely. And that's, I think the main call, you see a lot of, uh, I think during this, um, this pandemic, you, you see a lot of people or not a lot, maybe a lot, a few people waking up to that reality to say, Wickedness doesn't just go away on its own. And Christ said that I am the light. He said that, you know, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And without me, you can do, without me, you can do nothing, right? Nothing good. The default is darkness. When you don't have, when you're not rooted in the word of God, the only other position is darkness. You can't have goodness apart from the light. And as you said, once you shine that light, the darkness cannot actually, the darkness cannot comprehend it. It cannot actually withstand it. If you, just to take that analogy a little further, if you, if you were in a dark room and you flip on the light switch, 
the light comes on, right? Turn on a flashlight, same thing. The light is just there and the darkness scatters. There is not this battle where you see the, the light particles slowly start to move out and then the dark matter start to push against it. No, it's just the light is there and the darkness flees. That is the same nature of, of uh, the same characteristic of the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in is that God has already defeated sin back in Calvary. He has already conquered death. He has defeated Satan. And now as we move forward in time, we're progressively taking more and more institutions. If we, if we, God's hands and feet are not moving, we should expect darkness to continue to, to, to move. Like I, I know that even within our, some of our chat groups, I, I hear every once in a while, Christians saying, well, we're going through this time now, but God wins in the end. And I'm, I kind of cringe a little bit because God doesn't win in the end. He's already won, right? <laughs> like, there's already a path to salvation. There's already no need for to stay in sin or to stay in this kind of lifestyle apart from God. He's already paid that price for all of us. Everyone who's lived, everyone who will live, who calls on his name, like that's already available. And the power of the Holy Spirit that he's given us to stand up to these principalities and powers that already exists. That doesn't just come during some, you know, long time to be during the second coming of Christ. Like that's already here. Yet what are we doing with it? Are we hiding in our rooms or hiding within the four walls of our churches because we don't want to upset people. We don't want to, you know, make, get ourselves in uncomfortable situations or are we actually going out there and proclaiming the truth proclaiming the the gospel of Jesus Christ in all these aspects of the world. And I think that part of the reason you're seeing some of this um, turmoil is because we as a, as a body of believers have not done that. And I'm, I'm talking not just now, but over the past couple of decades where you see Christians sort of relenting from the schools. Well, you can't pray in school. You can't mention the name of God in school. It's a public institution. And we retreat from that. And now you have the government education system in the state that it's in. Or in governance, a lot of Christians will say, "Well, I'm a Christian. I don't get involved with politics." Okay, well, somebody's gonna somebody's gonna fill that office seat, and if it's not if it's not a person of uh, of a righteous mind, guess what the default is? And and so now you see these stories of government corruption and abuse and things and, and all the the rest. And and you take a look at any institution society where Christians just retreat from one way or another. Um, that the default is going to be things that you don't like. And so I, I'm really not surprised when the government or uh, other institutions start to act badly or start to persecute Christians because you have not actually withstood against that despite having the power of the Holy Spirit for those who proclaim the name of Christ. Um, I, I think that it's unfortunate, but we try to get the We try to encourage others that, you know, it is uncomfortable, it is difficult, but as Jesus said, you count the cost and follow me. So I am not going to lean or rely on a pension or medical benefits or you know um, promised medical benefits in the future uh, at the expense of what the gifts and blessings that God has already promised. Like that's not even a trade-off for me, which is why decisions like this are fairly easy. Um, but I understand that we're at different levels of maturity, different levels of understanding. And so we just try to encourage others to stay rooted in the truth and live your life accordingly. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not meant to be comfortable. That's right. Jesus said, you know, I'm a sore. He's going to divide father and, and son, mother and daughter, like a, as a two-edged sword that is meant for conflict and we should be ready for it. Well, yeah. And I, to one of the points you said, you know, and you kind of alluded to this, you didn't say this specifically, but so many Christians 
look at Jesus as fire insurance. What does that mean? Well, you know, it's not, it's not all state. No, fire insurance means I'm not going to go to hell if I believe in Jesus. Well, yeah, maybe, but that's not the point. That That is a byproduct of that relationship. The, the point of the relationship is to have the relationship and that makes today better. Maybe not physically, maybe not your actual situation, but it, it improves the mental state of you so that you can grow rather than be crushed. And, and if you're reading through Matthew, cause I, in med school, I was able to take part in this, this interesting Bible reading group. It was a bunch of PhD and, and doctors and we read through Matthew and when you read through, let's say the Bible and you don't bring in what you think you know about the Bible, you just read it for what it's worth. And you're getting to this point and you're like, okay, so he really hasn't said that he's going to die yet, or at least nobody understands it if he did allude to it at all. And then he teaches the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And then he sends his disciples to go spread the good news. Oh, what's the good news? Right? Because they don't understand. They have no comprehension of him dying for our sins. Well, what's the good news? The good news is the relationship with Jesus. Now, that can't happen unless he died for our sins because we can't have a relationship with perfectness unless we're blameless. And that's what Jesus did. But what he's talking about is when we're the peacemakers, when we stand up for what's right, all of the Beatitudes, we do that. We can have the kingdom of earth. I'm sorry. We can have the kingdom of God here on earth now between two or three people making this place better today and making God happier because we're living the way he wants us to live. Right, I, I salute, absolutely, and it, it says as much that that reconciliation is a ministry. So that the idea of calling people in, bringing them into the fold, or really even explaining that concept is our ministry. Uh, there's there's no one else who could do that. It, it makes sense, right? Starting from the twelve apostles and growing from there through Acts and in all the New Testament we read about that this is our ministry, and this is what we should do. This is not just a Sunday activity where I show up to a building one hour a week and then the rest of my life I go kind of blend in with society. Like the the mission that we have as Christians is to proclaim the gospel and to spread that good news, like you said. Um, just, I mean, to, to augment that, Jesus also said that he who loves me obeys my command. And, you know, paraphrasing, but if you're ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of you in front of the Father. So there's multiple verses on... Following Jesus or proclaiming that you follow Jesus is not just a, a one-time prayer, check the box, okay, I'm, I'm good for eternal salvation. Because uh, he also said that there are many who will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, turn back, I never knew you. So yeah, I think this, is, this should be a humbling thought for many Christians. Uh, I reflect on it frequently that, are you actually following God? Do you say you love God? when it really matters, not just when you're by yourself, not just within other like-minded people, but when it truly matters. Um, And I think that is really the, the, the test or the revelation for all of us is to say that, yeah, who do we ultimately follow at the end of the day? Do we follow God or do we follow some other entity? In in most cases, it turns to government. Um, I think that should be a reflection for many people. Again, if they call themselves Christians, that you should reflect on that daily is, is, who do you ultimately listen to? Who do you ultimately put in a position of authority when it comes to uh, uh, topics of substance on morality, on truth? Who do you listen to at the end of the day? Uh, and in the military, this, again, I, I think for folks uh, in this situation and, and many of your listeners, this is, is very apparent, uh, which is why we are able to stand up against an institution with somewhat, not unlimited dollars, but a lot more resources than all of us 
perhaps as individuals, a lot of material resources. And it, it would seem that a large institution could crush individuals very easily. And yet here we are, continuing to stand up, continue to speak the truth. And I, I think that we will progressively see this thing turn around uh, on God's timing so long as we are faithful to him. And so long as we continue to move out there, continue to walk the walk and not just, just uh, wear the Christian badge on our sleeve and behave like everyone else. So I, I think that there is victory to be had in this one sphere. And obviously in society, there are many more other things that need to be addressed uh, by and large. Yeah, just to kind of talk on those points about uh, resources and, you know, this very small minority group of people standing for truth and, and justice. One thing that's just been so upsetting to me uh, is I am using my own money. And, and I don't say this to well, pours me. I'm just saying this so that people understand the gravity of the situation. I've spent over $60,000 of my own money. And I do want to say that I just recently on top of that, I recently got a $10,000 grant to help with my legal uh, fees through the Truth for Health Foundation. And if you're interested in helping other people in my situation, like Mark Bashaw, Bill Mosley, uh, there's, there's a sundry list of of um, service members that are being helped by Truth for Health Foundation. Please go to their website. The link is down below. Give to them. But they're using they're using our money to fight against us. They're using our taxpayer money. And when you look at the the root of money, and this is why Jesus says that the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, what is money? Well, in Hebrew, the word for blood and the word for money are the same word. There's a connection there, and there's supposed to be a connection there. That's why we put our blood in a bank. For a community to work, we have to have money changing hands and moving around. For a body to work, we have to have blood moving around, changing hands, if you will. And so when you love money more than you love people, you'll squeeze that person and extract all the blood, all the money out of them. And so it's, it's this really like spiritual thing that they're using my hard earned money, your hard earned money. They're taking it from us. We're working a quarter of the year to pay our taxes typically, and depending on the tax bracket you're in and, and they're using our blood to fight against us, but yet we're still prevailing. Right. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. This is your time, your labor, your efforts translated to a monetary type system that we're in. Right. They are using that against us. And I think that really what I appreciate about this venue and many others that are outspoken out there, um, I think that it is is very, very educational for many people who aren't even steeped in the fight. Uh, I talked to some people even today, and they said, oh, yeah, really, that, that thing is still going on in the military? I'm like, yeah, it's still going on, very much so. But because a, a lot of America has effectively moved on, or at least kind of put this stuff in the background, that they don't realize that there are still thousands of members uh, fighting within its own institution, and that those people who are either unaware or maybe apathetic to it are still giving to that that sort of that institution that you said is prosecuting its own members that is fighting against the truth with their tax dollars. So I think that continue to educate uh, others, continue to spread the word, I think is fantastic. Um, I think I encourage others to do the same, that whether they have a, a large platform or whether they're just individuals talking to your family, talking to your friends, like continue to share the truth despite how you think it might make them feel. And I think that's really the only way to, to turn this and other societal ills around. 
Yeah, we're, we're called to speak the truth in love. Now, if, if you can't speak the tr- truth in love, then maybe you should just not talk because causing more division is, is not helpful. But there are things you're going to say. It's, it's how we say them. But the things you say may upset some people. We just have to say them in a loving manner. Right. Right. Don't do it out of malice. Don't do it out of spite. Don't, don't speak to, don't speak to win an argument. Cause even, even now with, with some of our chat groups, I, I look and, and my ultimate goal is to still see them come to repent. I would like to see them say, yeah, you know what? We made a decision based on these factors. We thought it was the right thing to do. We recognize it was wrong and let's start to make it right. I would rather see that in a lot of senses than just, well, lock them all up, throw everybody in jail and, and, take them to the gallows. I, I don't think that's a healthy solution in the long term for society. Like you want to see that rebuilding. And ultimately, if we are to move forward as a country, as a nation, that is going to be what's required. You know, it happened post-Civil War. If, if you want to keep your identity as a, as a United States of America, you have to have some kind of resolution. Now, if society can't get there, if we if we somehow cannot find a way to move forward on many of these issues to, to, to do that, then yeah, I think God's judgment will be revealed as it has with many other nations. If you look at Assyria or Babylon or Egypt or Rome or the uh, Great Britain in the, as a world empire, like you see a lot of really, really powerful world nations come to rubble where now if you visit those sites, there might be some old rocks and some archeological digs and stuff, but as a nation, they don't exist anymore. There's their people exist in a smaller semblance, but not the stature that they must have. And I think that's a, a good view for America on whether we choose to repent of this stuff or whether we continue to go on our own path, shaking our fists at God and then incurring his wrath as, as needed. Well, and part of that, that coming together, like there, there, there's a couple, and we're, we're speaking about this on is it the, the day after uh, when we're recording this and this will publish uh, couple weeks from now. Um, but we just heard that the NDAA, um, the National Defense Authorization, I don't know, um, Act, thank you, Act. Um, it's basically what Congress approves, because they, they hold the purse strings. It's what they approve everyone to do. They, they give the money, they parse out the money, and they're saying, we will not give you money to continue this mandate. Now, there's two sides of this argument. There's like, yes, yes, finally, vindication. But wait, there's a lot that will happen now if they do that, right? There will be no case law that is that is filed to stop this from ever happening again. Because if we look back at anthrax, the only reason we have the laws now that say that it's illegal now is because we have what happened in anthrax with uh, Doe v. Rumsfeld with Dale Saran. That's the only reason we have any platform to stand on now. Then we have, well, what about the guys who were kicked out? What about the guys who were passed over for... Um, promotion? What about the guys who've spent $60,000 on legal fees? What about my medical license, right? Because now in Alaska, they're saying I'm incompetent. It has nothing to do with the vaccine. They've taken a different angle and they did that on purpose so that if it didn't work out the way they wanted, they could still make the argument, well, he's incompetent, even though they lied to show that I'm incompetent. They didn't talk to anyone who knew me or had any um, search for the knowledge and the for, of truth. And the one person they spoke to who spoke truly about me, they twisted his words to make it 180 degrees of what the truth actually is. So what about all of us? And in and, and my story, I just know it. It's not, I'm, please don't think it's poor me because it's not. I, I take this all as gain 
that God will glorify his name through me uh, because he's put me in this position. He's given me the strength and continues to give me strength and the courage and the bravery to get through all this in my family. And, and we're, my family is actually the best we've ever been because of this crucible. And it, it's exposed us to who we actually are. We don't have to think of what would happen in Nazi times. No, we know. Just like you, sir, you know who you would do, what side you would be on. Let's say it's, you know, 18, you know, 40, 50, and we're building up to the Civil War. You know who you would be, and not because of the, the surface appearance, but, but you know where you would stand. You know, it, it's a much deeper thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I agree. I think that, that this sort of testing time has been very revealing for us. And to your point, there's that kind of message, I think, resonates with a lot of people just at, from a, a human level. And there are, there are many people in the, in the service who either don't have as big an audience or don't have the, the monetary resources to, to do what we do. But going forward then, okay, let's say we you fast forward a couple months, couple years, what do we do at that point to, to bring our, our service and our nation back to a healthy place? You do have to make restitution for those, those harms and those losses, because if you don't, there will be an ongoing grudge or an ongoing in, injustice really is the right term that a wrong has been done and you haven't made it right. Uh, and, and just even you know, drawing back to the scripture is that crimes, as they were written, there's usually, there, there's crimes where the punishment is death, right? There, there's moral crimes against God, and then there are more civil crimes against the individual. If you, if you kill someone's animal, then how do you repay them? And that idea as well, we don't just brush it under the rug. We don't say, well, okay, let's let bygones be bygones and kind of move on. That's definitely not what I'm advocating in terms of coming back together, just forgetting the past because there have wrongs that need to be made right. Uh, and going forward, how do we prevent this from happening again? I think it's also a big thing alluding back to the anthrax case was how do we keep this from resurging on the next potential uh, national disaster or uh, national attack is how do we, how do we put those safeguards in place so that even the common observer who didn't live through this time, all those kids who were born during the pandemic, when they come to adulthood and are serving in the military, how do they not fall into the same traps that many of our folks did from the onset, right? So how do you continue to build and structure in a way that preserves truth and justice going forward? So I, I think that's right. And it, yeah, go ahead. Which is shocking because we as a world especially us as America, after World War II, we went and we, we said what these guys did was wrong, what these, what these Germans did to the Jews and to the, um, you know, the gypsies and, and the homosexuals and you know, the other minorities. What they did was terrible. There's no law against it, but, but there's a law written on your heart and we're going to judge you on a world stage and we're going to hang you till you're dead because that law is on your heart and you should have known better. And yet we're, everything we're doing right now is going against those 10 principles of the Nuremberg Code that were codified, which were also put into U.S. American law in the, the Belmont report. So, I mean, we're breaking the laws that we've already stated. And anyone, and I'm, I'm sure you've been in long enough, um, you said you're in for 18 years, that what they're doing, asking you to take this experimental jab, because there is no FDA-approved medication available or treatment available, uh, shot, sorry, FDA shot available, you actually had ruling under Dover's Rumsfeld. 
So what they're doing is they're break, they're going against the law that was set for you and for me. Not, not some, you know, you know, thing that we're thinking about that happened way in the past. That act, that since we had signed on the line when that was judged upon, they're actually breaking the law in against you and against me and anyone else who was in the military at that time. Yeah, that's, you know, I don't want to be a pessimist here, but that that's also the other aspect of going forward that despite having existing laws in place, which are plain to a, a person with common understanding and sense, that you can just read the text and say, okay, this is wrong, this is right. And yet we still have those who disregard it. So perhaps a long-term solution is not just writing more legislation, writing more bills, but something else, which is why I always go back to the spiritual nature where it, it actually does take repentance of the heart, where whether you're a, a top government official or just a regular churchgoer or someone on the street, that without that change of the heart first, it doesn't really matter what all this, all this other stuff is. You have God's law already. And so now just piling on extraneous stuff may or may not be beneficial if you can't stick with the basics. Uh, and so this, it'll be interesting to see how this transpires going forward. But I look forward to it. And I just hope that those who are in right now, those who have been separated, those who are thinking about coming in, will still keep this in mind, keep it at the forefront that unless we change the, the, the human, not human nature, but change the dynamics or the thoughts or the understanding of our institution, that this is likely to happen again. So just keep the hope up, keep up your encouragement and continue to do right uh, going forward. It, it may be a short term and you know everyone wakes up tomorrow and says, hey, all right, let's, let's go ahead and turn this around. Or it may take a couple months or a couple years, I don't know, but it's still a fight worth pursuing. Uh, so that'd just be my word for anyone listening, just to encourage you to, to continue to speak out, continue to do what's right and not, not get lax, not kind of even rest on, rest your hopes on politicians say, well, maybe if we just get a majority in this house or that house, they'll fix it for us. Don't, don't rely on that either, um, because that is still or subcontracting your obligation onto someone else. Like you still have a role to play and just continue to hold your ground on that. Well, sir, I think that that is a perfect place to close this. Thank you so much. If, if you can see this, I'm, I'm going to be sending one, one of these to you uh, because I, I think you, you very much deserve it. Um, you are part of the, the leadership in this. Um, and not that this is a, a combined effort. There is no actual leadership. There is nothing of that nature. Just men and women standing up and become leaders amongst other men and women and, and showing how to do it, showing what to do. You just stand and don't give in. Never give in, never surrender. Right. I mean, ultimately, Christ is our king. He's, he's the ultimate leader. And so we just follow him. Uh, and, and whether he places us, again, in a, wherever he has us in society or in, this, in these different battles, uh, I think just continue to focus on him will, be, uh, will, will guide us forward. I appreciate your time. Thank you again for the opportunity here. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And I hope that it's worth, it's, uh, it's, it serves a valuable purpose to anyone who watches or listens. So thanks. No, thank you, sir. And God bless. Thank you. Likewise.